And so I am uh, honored to be with you guys this morning. We're going to start a brand new series today called No Perfect People Allowed. And I would just ask you that you would open your heart this week and for the next three weeks and allow God to speak to you. As I've said the last couple services, I'm just, I'm just a messenger, but I pray that you hear the heart of the Father today, that you would hear the message that God has for our church. A few years ago, someone gave me a book, and that was the title of it, No Perfect People Allowed, and it was by Pastor John Burke. He was out of Austin, Texas. He's still pastoring there at Gateway Church. And I want to read you a couple statements that he made early on in the book. And the first one that he said, he said, the church is facing its greatest challenge, as well as its greatest opportunity, seeing that we live in a postmodern, post-Christian world. He went on to say, God is drawing thousands of spiritually curious, imperfect people. Say that, imperfect people. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're included. Thousands of spiritually curious, imperfect people to become his church. But how are we doing at welcoming them? That was the synopsis of the book. That was kind of the the intro of, hey, God's got all these people that are hungry that he sees as the local church, but how are we welcoming them? How are we making them feel comfortable? I like what Dr. John Maxwell says. He says, every person that's been born of God has a homing device inside of them. You know what a homing device is? It's kind of like a radar. It's a beacon, and it, and it goes off until it brings that thing home. I have a buddy that he used to race pigeons, if you can even understand that that's a true thing. In California, they, they race pigeons, and pigeons have these homing devices in them, just natural instinct, that they'll always return to where they are from. Guess what? You and I and every other person that's breathing has a homing device called a spirit, and it longs to be returned to the creator. It's constantly being drawn towards God, their father. And so if people are being drawn towards the creator, their father, then that leaves a responsibility for us as a church, as the church. You know, many people go to a church and they see it as that building, Oh, you guys have that church over on such and such. It's the one thing that I hear about our church when we tell people where we're at. They say, that's not a church. I said, well, no, it's not a church. It's just a building. Well, you don't even have a cross on that thing. You don't even have a steeple, man. How could that be a church? The church is the body of Christ. You, me, your neighbor, your mom, your dad, the one sitting in front of you, behind you. We make up the church, and so it's our responsibility as believers, as Christ followers, that when he sends his people home, are you with me? That we welcome them. And that we treat them as people, they're God's creation. And so that's what I want to talk to you about for the next two weeks, and then pastor's going to come back and clean up all the messes that I make and and (laughs) finalize this thing and present it well. But I want to talk today about how how do we create a culture that writes people in? We live in a society that writes people off. How do we create a church culture here that, that, that welcomes the lost, that makes them feel at home, that makes them feel loved, that makes them feel received? And then next week, I want to talk to you about how do you see people? Do we see people the way that God sees them? I'll give you a little preview. The Bible says that Jesus sees them as precious fruit. Let me ask you this. Do you see people as precious fruit? Because that's the heart of the Father. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to jump right in. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word again. Lord, I I offer myself as, as a tool, as your instrument. Lord, speak through me. 
Let it be your word and the power of your word that changes lives today. Lord, we come with open hearts, receptive minds. We thank you, Father, for, for, for just speaking directly to us as individuals. But Lord, that we could collectively catch this message as a whole body. Father, I ask you to give me strength in my voice, in my vocal cords this morning as I declare your word with boldness. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. A few years ago, I was a, a brand new student pastor. I was a brand new, what I call a rookie youth pastor. I really was brand new to pastoring students and didn't really know what I was doing. You ever done something you didn't know what you were doing, but you signed up anyways? Most of us, that's how we got to where we are today. And then I started being a, a youth pastor, and man, I felt like God was doing some things. The youth ministry began to grow. But almost every week, for a few weeks, there was this kid over here in the corner, about halfway back, almost two-thirds of the way back, and he, and he would start talking when I started talking. I got to be honest with you, it drove me nuts. I mean, I spent all this time praying and ready, you know, just learning the scripture, studying my stuff, figuring out how I'm going to communicate the best. And as soon as I would get up, this guy would start running his mouth. I'm like, dear Lord, what in the world? Like, I mean, come on. So I, I would try to hint to him like I'd walk over here and, and talk to him like I'm talking to my friend Jonathan. I'd say, hey, what's up? <laughs> then I'd just kind of walk on and he'd make eye contact with me and he'd shut up for a second. And then I'd go back about preaching. And the next week, man, the same thing. I get up preaching and I start going and, and, and kids are trying to receive and he starts squawking again in the back. And this went on week after week after week. And I got to tell you, man, it was on my final nerve. I was ready to just, you know what I'm saying? I just had this something about it. And so finally one week I just stopped and I said, hey, man, I said, do you mind just like stop talking? Because I'm trying to talk and we both can't talk at the same time. And he said, well, why don't you stop talking? And I thought, really? You're going to challenge me in front of everybody? I got a microphone, dude. Like, come on, seriously. And so he, I just kind of let it go, but I wanted to wring his neck, you know? And so I, I, I let it go on. This went on for week after week after week. And finally, I just had it. I was just one of those nights where he started talking. I said, hey, I said, this has gone on long enough. I said, do you mind just getting out of here? Will you take off? I said, no, I'm seriously, get up and go out. I said, you're not going to sit here. I said, there's people that are hungry. They're hurting. They came here to, to hear a message. They came here with intention of, of, of gathering together and hear about Jesus, but you're running your mouth. I said, come on, man, get up. Let's go. And he didn't move. And I said, hey, I asked all my interns or big dudes. I said, well, y'all, man, laying hands on this young man and help him find the exit, you know? <laughs> and so they did. They dragged him out of the service, you know? And I was done. I said, forget him. I wrote him off. You know what? The next week he came back to youth, but he didn't come inside. He sat in the parking lot, smoked a joint in his car. And after service, when we're trying to hang out with all the kids and have quiet, you know, uh, not quiet time, have just hang out time when we had music, pool tables, ping pong, pizza, they were all leaving the service as soon as I preached. And they would go out and they're all out there and hang out with him in the parking lot. And I'm thought, man, he's got a lot more influence than I do. It kind of, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I went to his dad and I said, hey man, I said, this kid, you know, I won't mention his name. I said, I don't want him here anymore. He's just here to cause trouble. I said, I'm not going to put up with it. And so, you know, that kid came week after week. Now he didn't come inside. He just stood in the parking lot and hung out until the kids would come out, his friends. It was a few years later, actually just a little over a year later that, that I, I got a phone call from somebody and they said, hey, you remember that kid? I said, oh yeah, I remember that kid. I'll never forget that kid. They said, you know, he got locked up. He went to jail. I said, good. I hope he goes to jail, punk. And I just had this bad attitude. I'm just being real, okay? 
I just had this bad attitude about this guy. And they said, well, he, he went to jail, but man, he got saved in jail. I said, yeah, right. Sure he did. I bet he did. I bet he got saved every week. They said, no, no, no. He got saved and he's, he's out of jail. He's, he's actually going to Bible school at his church. And I said, what? I know that guy. Are you serious? Come on, man. You know, it was a few months, a year later, that I got another phone call that some other person said, hey, you hear what happened to so-and-so? I said, yeah, I heard he went to jail. No, 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 not that jail part. You know, he got saved. And you know, he went to Bible school, and now he's youth pastoring in a church in Tennessee. I said, that kid's a youth pastor? <laughs> Judging him, being real? You know, it wasn't that long ago. It was just about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. I got a call, same situation. Hey, you remember that kid? Yeah, I remember him. Hey, I know he went to jail. No, he got saved. Went through Bible school. He's been youth pastoring, and now he's planting a church. He's the senior pastor of his own church. And I thought, man, how awesome is this that God would see somebody that I couldn't see? The truth is, is I wrote that kid off. It's 17 years old. I said, man, take off. Get out of here. I can't do anything with you. But God wrote him in. Isn't that just like our God? You know, there's a story in, in, in Luke chapter 7 where we, where we hear about a lady named Mary Magdalene for the first time in the Bible. And the, and the story says that, that she was one of close, Jesus' close followers. But honestly, there's not that much about Mary Magdalene in the Bible. Although we know that before she met Jesus, the Bible said that she had seven demons, that she had seven broken places in her life, that there were seven problems in her life that she couldn't fix on her own until she came encounter with Jesus Christ. The truth is, is Jesus didn't write her off. Society had written her off. One, one theologian said that she was crazy. Not crazy like I say, hey, my friend over here, man, you're crazy, Yeah. He's crazy. No, no. She was literally crazy, demon-possessed, not in her right mind. Society pushes people like that away, and Jesus pulls them in. Think about the disciples, 12 outcasts, that for three years, he didn't push them out. He pulled them in. He pulled them in close so that he could send them back out. Listen to me. Before God can send you out to do something, he has to pull you in. Let me say that again. Before he can send you out on an assignment, he has to pull you close to him so you can find your identity in him. Here's the deal. Let me read this to you. How I like how Mark Batterson says it. He says, these types of people we tend to give up on, but not God. He won't give up. He can't give up. It's not in his nature. He said, we write people off like Mary, but Jesus, he writes them in. In fact, because Mary became the leading lady in the most important episode in all of Scripture, she was the very first one to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. She will forever be remembered as the apostle to the apostles. An outcast, an outcast that so many people wrote off, Jesus wrote in. Let's get to our main takeaway right away, and it's this. We write people off. Jesus writes people in. Far too many churches are writing people off. And far too many people are in need of a redemption story. It's our job as the body of Christ, the hands and the feet of Jesus in this generation, in this season, to help people connect with their Savior. The only way that they're going to do it is through us. So how do we do this? How do we do this as a church? How do we make sure that people are, are fitting in, that they're welcome, that they have a, a come-as-you-are mentality and that they're going to be cared for? I'm glad you asked. 
I want to give you five simple points today. They're very practical. They're not, you know, exclusive. There's probably many more ways we can do this, but I want to talk about how do we create a church that writes people in? How do we create a culture within our body right here that makes sure that people are written in? Are you ready? I said, are you ready? All right, y'all got to help me. Second service was kind of like, so I'll take you guys. You guys give me some energy, all right? All right, here we go. Number one, we have to recognize that God's supernatural power works through ordinary people. God's supernatural power works through ordinary people. There's a story in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. It's, this is Peter and John, and they've been passing by the gate called Beautiful. If you've read this story, you, you know what I'm talking about. And, and it says that there was a, a lame man there, and he was a beggar. Probably asked for money, probably asked for a cigarette. You got anything? In our modern day, it would be the guy that sits on the, the interstate exit with the sign that says, we'll work for food. That's this guy. Just so you can get a clear picture. That just so you can get a clear picture, this man was sitting there for years. Day after day after day, every time the disciples went to pray, that man was there with his cardboard sign. Hey, man, you got something? Come on, man, some change, a dollar. Come on, man, I'm hungry. Come on, man, my legs don't work. Your legs work. You ever had somebody hassle you like that? Come on, man, you look like you got it all together. Give me a nickel. Come on, man, you got a cigarette? You can spare something. That was this dude. And it says that they laid their hands on him, and instantly he, ran, he got healed, jumping, running, shouting, causing a commotion. And we picked the story up in verse 13 that says they couldn't take their eyes off of them. Peter and John, standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized these two men were just laymen with no training and no scripture and no formal education, for they recognized these guys have been with Jesus. Let me ask you a question that I didn't ask the other two services. Do people recognize that you've been with Jesus? Yes. Is it evident of what's happening in your life that through ordinary people, God's doing supernatural works? Listen, you don't have to tell people you're a believer. When the supernatural power of God begins to work through ordinary people, they will tell you, man, there's something different about you, but you, you, you're, uh, have you been hanging out with that Jesus guy? So many people want to tell everybody what they believe and what they want. That's not what God called us to do. He called us to show his goodness. Amen. Hear me now. Listen, when you're showing God's goodness, people recognize, dude, I know that guy. He's no perfect person. He's no normal. He's just an ordinary Joe. One theologian said the only thing that was supernatural about these guys is they were supernaturally ordinary. <laughs> that Jesus could find 12 guys that couldn't be any more common than you could find. When we understand that God is going to send us people that we may overlook, but they are the ones that he wants to use, we have to really check ourselves. I, I was in a church in California, and I've shared this story, but I'll repeat it again because I love telling stories. This young man comes down to the altar at our church, and he had a biker jacket on just like this one with big black Ray-Ban Wayfarer sunglasses on, and his knuckles were all tattooed back to as far as you could see his hands and up to his neck right here and up the sides and behind his ears. And he came running down to the altar when the pastor gave the altar call. But yet none of our altar people really wanted to pray with him because he looked different. They went to all the normal people. 
Thank God my friend Andrew Thorne, my brother's father-in-law, he walked down and tapped the guy on the shoulder and the gentleman turned around and he had alligator tears pouring out from underneath those Ray-Bans because God had just changed his life. Andrew came to me in the foyer of the church and said, hey, I want you to meet this guy. His name's Chris. He just gave his heart to the Lord and he took his glasses off and he had these bloodshot eyes. He'd been crying the whole service, he told me. He said, man, I couldn't get down to that altar fast enough. I needed Jesus. I've been screwing up for 38 years. Today was my day. I said, hey, man, my name's Josh. He said, my name's Chris, but my friends call me Little C. I said, Little C, so good to meet you, man. He said, well, Andrew at the altar was telling me that I should probably get involved in one of these groups, like a life group or a small group or a home group. And I instantly, I said, I don't think you're going to fit in a group, man. I don't know if I got a group for you. We got a bunch of old ladies that have a knitting group. We got a bunch of, you know, pristine people that have a coffee group. There's a babysitting group. There's some really deep theological groups that are going to be way over here. I don't, um, dude, I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to tell him. We hadn't made plans for guys like him. We weren't expecting guys like him to show up. We were expecting people like us to show up. And he said, well, man, if the group's not good, I, I got to figure this out. I'm, I'm in today, rock, rock me, I'm ready to go. So I went to his tattoo shop, drove my Harley down there the next day, pulled off the bike, and he meets me out front. He said, come on in, man. He said, oh, this is my shop. I said, you work here? He said, no, I own the place. I said, oh, you're a tattoo owner, huh? He said, yeah. We had lunch, and he said, hey, what would you think about me starting a group right here in my shop? I said, I think that sounds pretty awesome. He said, will you help me? And you know what? After a year and a half of meeting there on Wednesday nights, there was not a Wednesday night where it went by that some man didn't come to that tattoo shop and ask us to pray with him for forgiveness of his sins because he wanted to make Jesus Christ the Lord of his life. Listen, God will use normal people. And what you think is normal may not be normal. Just because you grew up in this neighborhood doesn't make that neighborhood normal. Just because you were raised in this state with these political views does not make that normal. Listen, God wants to use anybody that's just available. I had some religious people in the church come up to me after they heard about this Bible study in a tattoo shop. You know, they were, that's not really what's happening. Surely they're down there just hanging out. And I said, hey, you know, what's, what's this? I heard you have a bone to pick about the Bible study. What's going on? He said, well, yeah, you know, I mean, we're just concerned you know, he, that guy, he's, you know, he just got saved, and I'm not, I'm not even really sure he is saved. I mean, I saw him smoking a cigarette out front. You know, I'm not sure he's really the kind of guy that we want leading a small group. And I said, really? I said, because I asked you four times to lead a life group, but you're too busy. Yes, you're right. He doesn't qualify. Yes, he may not look like you, but you know what? He's available. And guess what? God is doing supernatural things through an ordinary person. Listen, as a church to create a culture that, that invites people in and writes them in, we have to understand that, man, they may not look like we think they should look. They may not dress like the way we think they should dress. They may not drive the car or no car that you think they should have. This guy didn't even own a car. I want to just challenge you in this right at the offset here. If we're going to expect the harvest to come through our doors, we're going to have to be prepared to know that God wants to work through them. And they don't have to go through a six-year Bible school training. Man, God can turn someone's heart right now. All they need to know is that God loves them. 
and that God has a plan for their life and that they're available. And guess what? Supernatural things. God can take care of the rest. I love the this, this statement our pastor makes. I'm stealing it. And that is you do the possible. You let God do the impossible. You make yourself available and God will show up when you make yourself available. God isn't looking for qualified people. He's simply looking for availability. Number two, to create a culture that writes people in, we have to be authentic and we have to be transparent. So many churches you go to, they act like they got it all together and you know they don't. So many Christians that I meet act like, man, they, they, you know, they got it all together. They're, they've arrived. You hang out with them long enough, you're like, man, you ain't arrived. I've seen the way you talk to your wife. I've seen the way you treat your kids. I see the way you spend your money and what you spend it on. Listen, we, we become very judgmental of other people when, when, we, when we look outwardly, but when we look inwardly and we understand, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up too. Thank you for that one amen. We all messed up. We all messed up. We all have issues. Your issue may be this, your issue may be that. It don't matter. We just need to be real and authentic. So when people that come in with, with real issues that are weighing them down to the point of quitting, then they understand, man, they're just like everybody else. That there's nobody better than them. Being authentic and being real helps create a culture where people want true life change through real relationships. Everyone battles the lie that we're not good enough. Everyone battles the lie that I couldn't be used. You don't know what I did. You don't know where I've been. You don't know my past. We all deal with that. So let's just be real. We wouldn't choose us. I wouldn't have chose me. It's for real. Listen, everyone deals with this, and we have to understand that everybody's on a journey. Everybody's on a journey. And just because someone just started their journey doesn't make us any better just because we've been journeying for 30 years. The question would be, is there any fruit from your 30 years of journeying? I'm trying to preach here. Listen, we, we, we understand that the, the, the gift of God was a gift given by grace, by his unmerited favor, right? And so a gift, it comes packaged. So you have to unpack that thing, right? And for a lot of us years ago, we unpacked it. We, we recognized, man, God's given me a free gift. Sweet, tear into that thing like Christmas morning. And we dive in and understand that, man, I'm a new creation in Christ. And we have these new creation realities. We find a new identity in that gift. But I meet people every day that they've been carrying the gift. They just haven't opened it. They understand God loves them, but they're still battling what they did. They understand that God has a better plan for their life, but they feel stuck in the plan that they created. They understand that God wants to prosper them, but financially they've made so many mistakes that they don't think they can get it. And so they carry this gift around... Don't judge somebody just because they haven't opened the package yet. Listen, in the right season, in the right time, everybody speak, will bow our knee and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we as a creative culture, we can't judge someone because we've been doing it for 20 years and they've been doing it for two months. We're all on a journey. And part of being real and authentic is saying, sometimes on the journey, some of us sit down and stop. So just because we've been saved for 30 years, we've been sitting for five. Let's not judge people based on where they are. Let's just be happy that they're taking baby steps. Y'all ever seen What About Bob? Baby steps down the hallway. Baby steps in the elevator. 
We have to be willing to walk with people at the pace of their, of their comfort and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in their life. I like what Pastor Rick Bazette says. He says, it's, it's important to be real because fake is exhausting. Come on now. It's exhausting being fake. You come to church and it's, hey, brother, good to see you, brother. Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. And then you leave out in the parking lot and you're cursing your kids. That's exhausting having to come in and put that face on. During worship, acting like you got the glory, doing crazy stuff. And then you go out and listen to junk in your car. Listen, I'd just rather you just be real. Because guess what? There's a bunch of people that are being real and coming and watching us. And they're taking our cues of, is that really who God is? Is he real? Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Or is he going to change like my mom changed? Or is he going to treat me like my brother treated me? Or those people that cast me out? Listen, the gospel is all inclusive. Come as you are, just don't stay the way you are. Jesus said, come and follow me, and as you follow me, guess what? All these things will change. Being real means that we understand that we're all sinners, or we're sinners. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. All. Who does that include? Well, that includes all of us. Yeah, all means all. Down south, y'all. It's, it's all have fallen short from sin. Now, at this present day and age where I am on my walk with the Lord, I don't tell people I'm a sinner. I tell people I'm a child of God. See, I don't identify with the past life. I identify with the, the present life. You know, some people say, well, you know, I'm just a sinner. Not if you're saved, you're not. Now you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. For some of us, it's time to take off the old man and put on the new man. Listen, as long as you identify yourself as a sinner, that's where you are. But when you step over and realize, I, yeah, I still make mistakes. I'm not perfect, but I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the fullness of God right now. I'm not going to get any better, more holy, more perfect. I'm coming as I am, and he loves me. Oh, man, that makes me excited. I mean, it gives me freedom because I make mistakes. And it gives me this, uh, this freedom to know that, listen, I can be real with somebody else by saying, hey, man, I can pray with you because I, I went through that. I'm not in that right now, but I went through that. I went through it on my journey towards Christ's perfection for my life. The only day will be perfect is when we stand before Jesus and we shed this earth suit. Truth is, you're never going to be any more perfect than you are right now. Until you're face to face with Jesus Christ, because we're bound to this flesh suit. Amen? I love this statement, and I'll move on. It is this God will meet you where you are, but not where you pretend to be. If we're going to be real and authentic, we have to understand to be real and authentic about where we are, because that's where God's going to meet you. So many people are. Putting it out there and social media really does us a disfavor because we only see people's good days. We've talked about this before, but social media gives people that are hurting an opportunity to make people think that everything's golden, that everything's great, that their kids are awesome, that their money's awesome, their marriage is awesome, they got the best job, they drive the coolest car, they got the hottest chick. Single people. I mean, it's crazy because social media gives us the opportunity to portray something that's not really true. Like when you go to Ruth Chris Steakhouse because someone gave you that $200 gift card 
And you've never been to Ruth Chris? And you take the picture of that big old bone-in ribeye, which is delicious, by the way, and you post it on your Instagram, and you take all the pictures of the food, and people think, well, man, they eat like kings all the time. But they don't know that you live off the 99-cent menu at McDonald's drive-thru the rest of the time. How about this? They post, a guy posts oh, a date night. You know, he posted with his wife, date night. Well, of course he's posted. It's the first date they've had in six years. You think, man, I'm suck as a husband. This guy's taking his wife out on a date. I ain't been on a date in two weeks. He ain't never been on a date. That's why he's taking pictures with his wife. Social media does us a disservice. And we have to be real about where we are. I love social media. It's a great means of connection. But let me just challenge you in this. Be real about where you are because that's where God's going to meet you, not where you pretend to be. Man, that's a good statement. Number three, are you ready? Number three is we have to understand that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. This is a tough one for some people, especially if you've been going to church for a long time because a lot of times when we go to church for a long time, we think it's about us. Like when you come in and somebody's sitting in your seat. You know, the usher tries to direct you. And you're like, no, 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 I sit over here. Here's my seat. Excuse me. They're just like, no, that section's full. I like to sit over here, dude. I want to sit right there. Well, there's somebody always sitting there. What do you mean there's somebody sitting there? That's my seat. Listen, the church isn't for us. It's for the people that aren't here yet. The church is for hurting people that are broken. They're looking for a connection with a great physician. Listen to this. It says in, in Matthew 9, Jesus overheard the Pharisees talking about him hanging out with riffraff, and they, they began to call him names. And look at him. He's, he's having wine with those guys, and he's eating with these guys. And man, all these outcasts, he's spending time with them. And Jesus said, hey, who needs a doctor around here? The healthy or the sick? I think there was probably a long pause right there. Hey, Dummy. He kind of probably said it with a tone, hey, who needs the doctor, the healthy people or the sick? Why don't you go figure out what I was talking about in the scripture when I said, I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Listen, the day that we realize that church is not about us is the day that our doors are full. The day that we understand that these seats don't belong to us and they have the name of a lost person on them, you'll change how you come to church. When you understand that somebody's watching you doing worship, man, you'll lift your hands so much higher. When you understand that by you connecting and, and being a part of what we're doing, but not for the fact of what you can get, but what you can do for somebody else, the idea of going to church changes. For some of us, it's, the difference between us bringing somebody and not bringing them. Because we're not sure if I brought the hurting, would they be loved? Would they be accepted? Would there be a seat for them? Would sister so-and-so run around the room and do something crazy and ha da 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 You ever been there? You know, the truth is, is here at IFC, we do everything intentionally. We do things intentionally for a reason because we want people that are lost that have never been to a church, let alone we don't have a cross or a steeple. So they're already freaked out when you tell them you're going to church and you show up at a brick building that used to be owned by Converse. <laughs> that they come in and they feel welcome and understand that this is a place for them. See, at IFC, we're very intentional about helping outsiders get the help they need to take a step in their journey with God. We do it through simple things like small groups. 
You saw the advertisement. Small groups are so people can meet other people. You know what the number one reason people go to church is? It's because they want a friend. No, that's not why they go to church. No, that's, that's the reason they go to church. may not be the reason you come to church, but the reason that an outsider or somebody lost, it's the number one reason why they come to a church and are willing to go through all the anxiety of coming there and not knowing because they ultimately want to connect with somebody else because they ultimately want to be accepted and loved. And the truth is, is when they come and they find that for the first time in their life that they went to this weird building, but people loved them and hugged them and greeted them and took care of their kids. The service was short. It wasn't four hours. Nobody flipped out and went nuts. The pastor talked on a level they could understand. Guess what? They want to come back to a place like that. Because so many other places make it so difficult. You got to jump through 30,000 hoops to meet somebody. Listen, small groups is an intentional way for us to connect people. So they can build a relationship so they can actually have some life change. Our dream teams give people an opportunity to use their God-given gifts and talents. The dream teams are intentional not because we need work done. It's because we want people to be fulfilled in their giftings and their talents right here in our house. I was thinking about this Family Matters. It's a conference we do in June, the last week of June this, this year. And for three nights, we'll gather here on the grounds and we'll have ice cream galore. And we'll have crazy services for the kids upstairs and the adults come down here and we'll have workshops for parents because we want people in our community to know that family's important to us. In fact, family's the most important thing to us because it's what, is the, it's, it's what shapes us as believers when we understand that God operates this thing in the context of a relationship through the family. Listen, when somebody comes to, to, to kids' uh, vacation Bible school and they've never been to anything like this and they come home and say, man, that was the greatest time I've ever had. Can we go back to that church? That didn't happen by accident. Friday night, this Friday when we have young adults, it's not just so we can get together and have another party for our young adults here. It's so that they can bring people and their friends from college and from school and from their neighborhood and their communities that don't know Christ in a normal environment. It's all intentional, even our weekend services. Some people say, well, you know, y'all only, you know, move of God really can't happen there because you guys only do it for 70 minutes. Listen, if you're intentional, God can show up in 70 minutes. He's on no time plan. We teach in series format so anybody can understand where we're going and where we've been. We put the scriptures on the screen for people that didn't bring their Bibles. You know how many churches, it's so awkward, they say, open your Bibles, and then there's a long pause. And you look around and people are freaking out, man. <laughs> They're flipping out, maybe not on their, uh, sterling, but on their face in the air because they don't bring a Bible because they've never read the Bible. And yet in that moment, they feel insecure. Everything we do here at International Family Church is so that we can connect people to get the help they need. Put it bluntly, the church is not about you or me. It's about those that are not here yet that are not a part of this family. Amen. Number four, we need to meet people with names, not count them as numbers. To create a culture that invites and welcomes the lost and, and writes people in, we have to make sure that we understand they have a story. They have a name. They have a history. They have a family. They're not just a number. Jesus, in, this, in the scriptures, and we sang about it a few minutes ago, he said that he's willing to leave the 99 for the one because that one has a name. 
Lots of churches, and we, we do this here. We, we count numbers, you know. And Pastor shared on Vision Sunday, last, last year in this church in 2017, we had over 1,000 people give their hearts to the Lord in our weekend services. But you know what? That's just a number. Every one of those people that came and gave their heart to the Lord, they have a name. I said they have a name, and they have a purpose, and they have an assignment on their life. And so as a church, we have to understand that it's great to cheer that 1,000 people gave their heart to the Lord, and that 600, you know, got water baptized, and that we have 120 youth in our youth program, and 350 kids upstairs in Kids World. Those are great. And I get excited about numbers. We need to measure things so we can make sure that we're doing things efficiently. But every single number is attached to a name. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to put you on blast for a second. How many of the thousand people that gave their heart to the Lord last year did you meet and introduce yourself to? How many of the hundreds of people that got dunked right here in the auditorium did you go and celebrate them in the lobby by introducing yourself and saying, dude, I don't know your name, but I know God's doing something and my name's Josh. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of services over and I run over and find Roland and, and find my friends and, and then I see and I, and I end up hanging out in the lobby with people I know. But there's a lot of people that come through these doors that they're just a number to others, but God has called them by name. It's our responsibility to create the culture that we don't become cliquish and just stay with the people that we know. But that if this has been our home and this is our home, that we get outside of ourselves and we say, hey man, I don't, I've seen you around. My name's Josh. What's your name? And guess what? If we all take that ownership, guess what? Everybody will feel welcome. Everybody will belong. I love this verse in Romans 9, 25. It's kind of been a, a life verse for me because many years ago, I felt like an outsider based on choices I made. I felt like the underdog. I felt like nobody cared. And God took me to this scripture and he said, I'll call the nobodies. That's how I felt, like a Nobody. He said, I'll make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and I'll make them beloved. In the place where they used to yell out, you're nobody. He said, they're going to begin to call you God's living children. Isaiah maintained this emphasis. And he said, if each grain of sand on the seashore was numbered, and then you took all that, collected it, and labeled it, this is the chosen of God, they'd be numbers still, not names. Salvation comes by personal selection. God doesn't count us. He calls us by name. I want to challenge you today as you leave. Your first homework assignment from the series would be that when we open these doors and you leave that you wouldn't run off. Number one, because a lot of you do. You hurry to get to Burger King to wait in the drive through line to feed those kids that are hungry. And yet God wants to connect you with somebody here in your house. The second thing is, is would you take time today, not only to stick around for a minute or two, but don't hang out with the people you know, that you would get outside of yourself and find somebody in the lobby that you personally don't know. It doesn't mean they haven't been here for a long time, but that you haven't connected with and say, hey man, I don't know you today. I want to introduce myself. My name is Brian. Hey, I'm Josh. Good to meet you. Guess what? If we did that every single week, there would never be numbers in our building. It would all be a group of names. And when we begin to talk about, hey, you see that guy? You remember that guy with the da 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 You'd be like, dude, his name's Tim. What? How do you know? I met him. That's how a lot of churches do attendance, by the way, smaller churches. Hey, did you see that new guy with the black leather jacket on? I don't think he's been here before. Yeah, he has a name. 
His name was John. I met him after the third service. He was invited by Teresa, his neighbor, who works at Burger King. You get where I'm going with this? Every single one of us has the opportunity to meet somebody, call them by the name, recognize their story, help them find their assignment. Number five, the final point today in helping create a culture that writes people in is we need to be a church that's known more for what we're for than what we're against. It's a tough one. We need to be known as a church that is known for what we're for not what we're against. For many churches, they make it very clear and it's very evident when you walk in the door what's allowed and what's not allowed. Who's going to feel comfortable? Who's going to feel uncomfortable? Through the, the way that they greet people or don't greet people, the way they take care of their building or don't take care of their building, the things they post on social media, through their website and through the contacts of people that meet people in that church. There's a lot of churches driving stakes in the ground saying, hey, if you come here, you can't dress like this. And if you're going to be a part of this, then you can't talk like this. If you're going to join us, we're glad you're here, but you're going to, be up to, you know, you're going to have to hang out with different people. You can't hang out with those kind of people. Hey, if you're going to be a part of our church, you need to define your sexuality right now. You need to define your addiction and leave that at the door. And we make it difficult for people to want to connect because they know from day one what we're against when really they should know what we're for. If we're going to create a culture that, that people feel welcome, we have to leave the rules in God's hands. I love what the late Billy Graham used to say and all this week, man, everybody's tweeting and posting stuff, but one of the greatest statements is, he said, God didn't call me to judge people. He called me to love them. He called me to love them. And so love doesn't put any rules. Hey, I'll love you if. I'll love you when. It's, hey, I'm going to love you right now, even in the middle of your junk. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to walk you through this. It's evident you're hurting. It's evident you're broken. It's evident you need healing. It's evident you need friends and community. Listen, what if we all rose up together as a church, 1,600 members strong, and said, hey, we're going to be the church that people know we're for freedom, that they know that that's a church of, that's for peace, that's for prosperity. What if they knew that we were a church that believed in deliverance and that we were for families, that we were for single people, that we were for divorced people, for widowed people? What if they knew that we were for the underdog, for the outsider, for the lost, for the hurting, for the broken, for the failure, for the quitter, for the screw-up? What if they knew that that's what this church was about? We wouldn't have room in this auditorium to hold them. I said we wouldn't have room. Because I mentioned this earlier, there's a homing device inside of people pulling them towards the goodness of God. And that's what we're called to display. When will we get back to the simple gospel that says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance? It's the only thing. Rules don't draw people closer to God. They push them away. When we decide that together we're going to reach anybody that wants to come and we're going to love them unconditionally of what choices they're making or made in the past or will make in the future, guess what? God will use ordinary people like you and me who used to look like them as a type and shadow of what their life could be. For many of us, we downplay our story 
And we act like, well, it's no big deal. You know, I'm just this and that. No, remember what you used to be? And look at where you are now. That's a miracle. Don't deceive yourself. Well, I kind of did this on my own. I made some decisions. You didn't do nothing. Jesus Christ did it for you, and you received it. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I want to read you one final scripture, if you don't mind. It comes out of Matthew 22, and it says, When the Pharisees heard how Jesus had bested the Sadducees, they, they gathered their forces for one final assault against him. And one of the religious scholars, he spoke up for them. He wanted to pose a question that they hoped would show Jesus up. He said, teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your passion, with all your prayer, with all your intelligence. For this is the most important, the first on any list. But there's a second to set alongside it. And that is love others as well as you love yourself. And on these two commandments, everything in God's law and everything in the law of the prophets hangs on those two. With your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I want to ask you a question because we, excuse me, we started this off with we write people off, but God writes people in. Maybe while I was sharing, maybe while I was preaching or ranting and raving, whatever I'm doing up here, God showed you a, paint, a picture of someone's face. Or maybe you remembered a name of somebody that you wrote off. I want to encourage you to reach out to them, believe in them, challenge them, love them, be a friend to them. Because that's our greatest calling. It's what we would want. We would want someone to call us and challenge us and encourage us and love us because that's what God did. And it's a commandment from God. It's the greatest commandment. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. What do you guys exist for over there at International Family Church? Two things. We love God and we love people. But what kind of people? All people. I like how the Hard Rock Cafe used to say it. Love all, serve all. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And that's who we're called to be as the hands and feet of Jesus. Second thing I want to ask you is, will you help us? Will you join us in making sure that when people come for the first time, that they feel welcomed, that they feel loved? Maybe this is the final stop on their church tour, and this is the final place. If they don't get it here, they're never going back again. Maybe today there's people in here, and you say, man, I'm going to go one last time and give that Jesus one more shot. Will you help us make sure that the true Jesus gets communicated to them? Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you say, man, I'm, I'm the guy you're talking about. I'm the girl you're talking about. I'm, I feel lost. I'm confused. I've been doing life my way. I, I'm, man, I'm the poster child for what you've been sharing. I need help. <coughs> I need a relationship with Jesus. I need a family. I need a community. The Bible says that Jesus died on a cross for you and me so we can be reconciled back to God, our creator, that no longer would sin separate us, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus' blood, your sins would be paid for past, present, and future. You're here today and you say, man, that's me. I, I, I need Jesus in my life. It's simple. The Bible says, all who call out upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. If you're here today, say, man, pray for me. 
please include me in that prayer. I want Jesus. I want to make a change. Would you do me a favor? I'm not going to embarrass you. Would you just raise your hand and put it up and put it right back down right where you sit? You say, Pastor, include me in that prayer. I, I, need, I need help. I need, I need to make a new choice. Yes, ma'am. I see you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. I see you back there. Yes, sir. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up and put it back down just so I know who I'm praying for. You say, man, pray for me. I need a fresh start today. I see you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I see you. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Anybody else? Yes, I see you. Maybe you've prayed this prayer a thousand times. Maybe you pray it daily. But maybe this is your first time praying the prayer. I want to ask us all to pray it together. And let's say it out of our heart. The Bible says if we believe it in our heart and confess it with our mouth, in that moment we are saved. Would you pray this with me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me for anything and everything that I've said or done against you, your word, and your perfect plan for my life. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and that he shed his blood to pay for my sins. So today, in front of my friends, in front of my family, I declare you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you guys for being here.